This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. My friend Chris Beal is the CEO at Connect and Sell Conversations on Demand out of San Jose, California. And what Connect and Sell does is allow salespeople to connect with their customers and their prospective clients at a much faster clip with much greater consistency. And what I like about Chris is that he continues to share all of the statistics on LinkedIn and in other formats. So you can look at the number of dials people are making, the number of conversations, the number of meetings that they're scheduling. And this causes a little bit of controversy because people are always wondering, is this sort of a brute force? And does Chris think that activity is everything? Chris is a sponsor for our Outbound Conference, April 11th and 12th in Atlanta, Georgia. But I asked him to come here and join us in the arena because I wanted to ask him what all these metrics mean what it means for salespeople, and how you should think about them. This is Chris Beal, CEO of Connect and Sell in the Arena. Chris Beal, how are you, sir? Doing great today, Anthony. I invited you on because I want to talk about outbound prospecting. And you write a lot, you work a lot, you have a lot of information about particularly one thing that scares a lot of salespeople, and that is the telephone. So I want to talk about metrics. And I don't want to talk about connect and sell specifically, but I do want to talk about the fact that you're continually producing a set of metrics and sharing them on LinkedIn that cause people some consternation when they look at them and causes some people to be unhappy with you for even saying anything that outbound should exist or that this work should be being done. And I continue to see people writing things like there will no longer be outbound phone calls in five years and the SDR role will be gone in six years or in all kinds of things like this that's pretty hyperbolic and doesn't really match a timeline that I think even comes close to being accurate. So tell me about the metrics that you track because you're getting this in a way that doesn't allow anybody to game any numbers. It's coming directly out of an export from software. So what are you tracking generally? Well, two kinds of metrics I find particularly interesting. One is volumes, and in particular, volumes per unit time. So I care a lot about what happens each day. I've got a, I don't know if it's a bias or a conclusion or something that I've come to from a lot of years of working at companies, building companies, and so forth, which is that the, the day is the unit that we should be paying attention to. And so I'm always interested in how much activity per day and how much in terms of results per day. And the five metrics that I really care about for outbound are the most raw, which is the dial attempts themselves, and then conversations, and then conversations turning into meetings or meetings set, so meetings set. And then two more, one of which I think everybody would agree makes sense, which is referrals. 
That is getting a referral from somebody who's not the right person to somebody who might be the right person. And then a, one that's a little bit peculiar to our world, but I think everybody should be taking a look at it anyway, which is what we call follow-ups. So on a per day, or I sometimes post these on a per hour basis, I just care about what is the factory producing, so to speak. Let me stop you there, because I I want to go back to your decision to choose the day as the right period of time to look at. Tell me why you have come to the conclusion that the day is the right time to, to make this kind of a measurement. Well, two reasons. One is that I think that time is the key to everything in business. And in sales, I'm often somewhat puzzled by sales leaders paying more attention to conversion rates and so many of this, so many dials become so many conversations or whatever, and not paying attention to time because time is what gives us the information about what's happening with our company. Company's overhead runs with time. I heard somebody say once that it Having a company is like having a racehorse. It eats while you sleep. (laughs) So if you don't do anything at a company, you go out of business because of the overhead, not for any other reason. And the passage of time is what drives the overhead because you have costs that simply run with time. The other is that your opportunities run with time. As opportunities that are grasped today are yours and don't belong to your competitors. And so the action that goes on the marketplace, the competitive action, and your position that you're going to be in tomorrow, so to speak, depends on what you do today. The reason I chose the day is, and this is more just from experience, I found very consistently that the strongest thing you can do when you're managing anything is to take something that you are going to do tomorrow or that might have become an opportunity tomorrow and pull it into today, get it Mm -hmm. done today. Yeah, pull results forward. Exactly. And the unit is not so much the hour. You can try to do that by the hour, but hours, they're difficult to manage. Things kind of slop around. Stuff comes up, so to speak. And you can't really do it by the week. Let's pull something in from next week into this week. Nobody gets that. What does that even mean? But you can look at something that somebody might say, hey, let's do that tomorrow and ask this question. Can we get that done today? And if you do that consistently, magic happens in your business, partially because of what I said in the first place, which is you get bored done per unit overhead that you're spending. Let me stay on this point for just a minute. This is why I asked you on the cause, because I know you have a particular view that I find interesting. I wrote this post a while back. If you only had eight hours to create a new opportunity, what would you do during that eight hours? That's the question that I ask people, because there's all kinds of things about longer term, what I would call above the funnel activity, and certainly social media is above the funnel. It's not really prospecting. And I'm I'm a content creator, but I don't think when I'm creating content, I'm prospecting. I think I'm capturing mindshare at best, being ignored at worst, right? But this idea of what do you do with eight hours is a really interesting way to think about it. And what if your job was to create an opportunity? How much work would you do that would be future-oriented that says, I'm going to put some stuff out into the world to see what happens, and how much of it would be something that would be more proactive, like picking up the phone and making a call, and what would serve you better? I just wanted to share that with you because that's why I brought you on this, because I think this is a a particularly interesting bit of conversation to have. Yeah, and I think they tie together in a way that people should think about a little bit more. And that is, it turns out, I believe, Anyway, it turns out that if you were to spend that whole eight hours engaged 
in activity that is most likely to produce an opportunity today. The exhaust from that activity is most likely to produce an opportunity tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That is, the two are tied together. So if the activity that's most likely to produce an opportunity today is to talk to people and those people are far away from you because your target market is extended over space, right? Is not all sitting right next to you in the same block or whatever. You can't knock on all the doors. Then you've got to use the telephone call or some equivalent of a telephone call in order to talk to them. And given that people carry around telephones, they sit at desks with telephones, it's a way to get a hold of somebody and, and cause them to stop doing what they're doing and talk to you. The telephone seems to be the thing you would use all day long, 100% of that time. What's interesting to me is that telephone conversations that don't lead to opportunities today are the best setup for an opportunity tomorrow, even compared to other content plays, social media, this and that. And they're the best setup for sending an email, for making some social outreach. Whatever it is, you're best off always starting with the phone call in terms of your impact. And is that because the value of the conversation between human beings is such that it, it creates greater value in a fact that you're known as a, a human being and a value creator? Exactly. You fundamentally changed a relationship with somebody when you speak, I'll call it midbrain to midbrain. That is, when you're speaking back and forth like you and I are doing right now, a huge amount of information gets interchanged, perhaps 20,000 bits per second. Are moving back and forth between us, one one way and the other. Well, including I mean, maybe twenty thousand coming from your way, and more like four thousand from mine. Well, yeah, except for <laughs> something <laughs> like that. But, but there's all this extra information that can be extracted. How long did you wait before you said something? What was your tone of voice? How loud were you? All sorts of things go on in there. And once you've had that interchange with somebody, even for a minute. You have a fundamentally different relationship with that person forever. So you've, you think about what do we do in social media? What do we do with content? We're conditioning the market. If the market consists of individuals, in a conversation, we're conditioning the market for other activities, other interactions we might have with them. At the level of that one individual, much more strongly than we do by sending them an email or reaching out to them on social And as a result, all of those other things we might do, the social, the email, the meeting them at a conference or whatever, have been conditioned by that first conversation in a favorable way. I hope a favorable way. I'm going to leave email off of the table for right now only because it's such a difficult conversation to have in the amount of time that we have. But there's a lot to be said for outside of email. With that said, I want to go through the metrics one at a time with you. And I I want to just get your take on each of these. So Dials is, in my opinion, what I would call an efficiency metric. It's how much am I getting done? And an efficiency metric only tells you part of the story, but it does, in fact, tell you part of the story. It says that I've attempted to contact someone X number of times. And if I do the math on that and and I say something like I made 10 dials over an eight-hour day, then I'm being pretty inefficient with my time, right? So I see that as an efficiency metric. Tell me your view on that metric. Yeah, I might see that more as a production metric. And if I put time in dials per day, for instance, it's a measure of productivity. That is, I've done a certain amount of stuff. The efficiency might come from my conversion of those dials to some output, but the productivity is, did I just do the thing? I think of it like this. 
this is a lot like taking ore out of a mine. So I've got a gold mine, say. And the ore isn't going to jump out of the mine by itself and go into my ore carts and go off for processing. I've got to go at it one way or another. So say I have a piece of automated equipment, like I've, I've got a uh, front loader, and I've got to take my ore in scoops with the front loader and put it in an ore cart and send it off somewhere. That scoop is like a dial. And how many scoops per day that I take out of that mine is going to be at least a constraining factor on how much gold per day is going to come out the other end of the process. So I need to produce the mine door, so to speak, the buckets full, the loads, at some point in the process. And a dial looks just like that to me. So there's some efficiency in there, but I see it more as just there's production that has to occur because things don't do themselves. And this is the thing that's got to be done. This is the scooping of the ore and putting it in the ore cart. I'm going to leave you with that view because I don't want to turn this into a different conversation. I, the only reason I use efficiency is only because I think the product is an actual opportunity being created. And I don't tend to think of anything else as counting that way. But that's my personal bias. So let's leave that to the side. So it's a production metric that says this is what has to be done. And it's a measure as to whether or not that's actually getting done. And if if we're successful, then we get a conversation. Yeah, and maybe even if we're lucky, we get a conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I would take luck over skill. Well, in in one sense, dials are funny, and that's why I use the ore analogy. Before we take that scoop with our ore scooper, we don't know if there's any gold in it or not. And it's not our skill in scooping that makes the gold show up. It's just... It so happens there's gold in that scoop. And so in, in a, I think, a strong sense. Um, you, you are now making this call from within a helicopter. I, I am. I will have to take a moment here. There's, <laughs> up here in the Santa Cruz Mountains, there used to be a lot of helicopter patrols for a different reason, but that's been legalized. <laughs> so there you go. I don't know what that helicopter was You've doing. got all your hydroponics in the inside of the house now, right? Yeah, apparently. Apparently. Okay. So it really is a matter of, I'll just call it luck. I mean, you have to dial and you get lucky every once in a while and that the person that that you want to speak with, you're trying to reach, happens to answer the phone. And I think there's a huge misconception about this, that somehow how we dial makes a difference. It may make a tiny difference. There's certainly a difference in how we interact with gatekeepers. But gatekeeper interactions are actually relatively rare. And compared to people's impression of how many there are, they're very rare. There's, I think, a fear factor that goes along with gatekeepers that causes people to say, oh, my God, I talk to gatekeepers all day long. If we actually did the numbers, we'll find out you talk to gatekeepers very rarely. But other than that, it's just luck. And so it's like anything else that's statistical. You just kind of have to grind through it. And then we get to meetings. And this is a different metric, right? This is a different metric entirely. This is meetings that are set. And then then this I would call an effectiveness metric. Absolutely. If, If I get someone on the phone, am I good enough to get them to commit to exploring a conversation around change in some area of their business? And we're sure that this is an effectiveness metric that's associated with the processor, that is the rep, because there are persistent differences in the rate of production of meetings or the conversion rate of conversations to meetings, one rep to another to another, and they stay very stable over time, which indicates that 
it's something that's tied to the processor, the sales rep themselves, who tries to turn that conversation into a meeting. Some of them do it at rate X, you know, 7%, 8% on first conversations. Some of them do it at a much lower rate, and it seems very, very much kind of tied to that individual. And so consistently you're looking at metrics and you're looking at the number of dials being made, the number of those dials that result in a conversation, the number of those conversations that result in a meeting, and that gives us some sort of an effectiveness measure. So the people that are more effective tend to just generally always be more effective. And then the people who are not as effective tend to not be as effective over time. Do you ever see inside the data, because I I see you share a lot of data, do you ever see people that dial over a longer period of time gain in effectiveness the longer they go? They do, in particular if they're coached, and specifically if they're coached on the first 8 to 12 seconds of the conversation. Mm. The most common place where we see conversations failing and going nowhere, and as a result certainly not going to a meeting, is in that first few seconds. And the coaching that we've, this is very hard to tease out, by the way, but my strong impression from a fair amount of observation is that two factors come into play. One is what do they say? And having that be simple and effective and leading in the direction of continuing the conversation is important. And then more importantly is how do they say it? What do they sound like? Do they sound confident? Do they sound like somebody that you would like to stay on the phone with? Chris, and, uh, now wouldn't be a good time to talk about this, uh, would it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, too, so so tentative that you don't sound like a value creator. Exactly. And, you know, we, we do all these test drives, about 500 a year. We may do 700 or more this year. And I get to attend a lot of them and listen to the folks that are on the phone. And it's remarkably easy to figure out who is going to set the most appointments in the day on a test drive, brand new, people we've never met, within the first few seconds of hearing each person. Hmm. And it's the confidence in part. It is. It's mostly the confidence. It's it's comfortable confidence. It's confidence that doesn't push somebody away, but doesn't not arrogance that you want to be pushed around either. Yeah, it's you'd sound like a value creator, not a time waster. Exactly. Let me ask you about another metric, and you may have never captured this Do you see that people get better throughout the day if they make more calls? No. Okay. I'm curious because I've always seen people tend to start slow and the longer they make calls, if they stay on it, then it tends to seem to get easier for them throughout the day. But you don't have any evidence that I'm right about that. I sure don't. But maybe that that could be a peculiarity of of how folks use Connect and Sell, they tend to cheat by starting out with their follow-up list, which is people they've spoken oh. with before. <laughs> okay. And that's their cup of coffee in the morning to get them going. And so in that sense, it's almost an ambition that they're going to need to warm up to get better. That's, Why not have the easier conversations first? That's an interesting way to do it too. And I, I always tend to do the the coldest thing first rather than the warmest, but that's just because my my bias is to try to do the thing that's most difficult before I move on to easier things. And then the rest of the day feels like running downhill. So I'm curious if you'll, you'll, now that I said that, maybe you'll see something and you'll have more to share later on. So once they get a meeting, we have an effectiveness measure. And that to us, this is what we're really mining for. We're mining for that meeting. But short of a meeting, 
then the next metric that you track is referral. So this is, you know, hey, Chris, I'm not the decision maker, but let me tell you about my partner. You want to talk to them about this because this is what they care mostly about. Exactly. And the most interesting thing to me about referrals is the, in general, this isn't always true, but it's very true on our team. The strongest producers of meetings are also the strongest producers of referrals. What's your thought on that? Why is that true? Again, we're back to what they say and how they say it. It's what they say and how they say it. And it's, it's that confidence to simply ask for the referral in a straightforward way and to make it sound like that makes sense. It's very similar to asking for the meeting. Sure. So I think it's, it's just being there as the guide, taking the leadership position in the conversation, and then getting something good out of it as a result of trying to lead the conversation to somewhere valuable. In all the metrics that you look at, what is the rate of referrals as a general percentage? And I know I'm asking you a very broad question, but just whatever you can say about that. If asked, what percentage of the people who do really well at this, what percentage of referrals do they come up with? Well, in comparison to meetings, for instance, it's about 50%. I'm looking at some numbers right here. So I'll look at our top producer. So our top producer, if I just go back to, say, October, we're now, I'll look from October 2017 to the end of the year, just a little snapshot I was just looking at here. So walking down the numbers, this is somebody who had 35,065 dials, 2,046 conversations. Of those, there were 362 meetings and 178 referrals. So that's almost exactly 50%. Over what period uh, of time? The referral rate compared to the meeting rate. How long to make the 35,000 dials? That was just about three months, a little under three months. So that's a quarter. And that is really, and we'll talk about Connect and Sell at some point, but that is the ability to have a computer, some help with the dialing, right? That's why the numbers yeah, that's are high. You couldn't do that by, I mean, you'd be hard to dial those that same number. I mean, you can't dial that number by yourself. I don't think you can. I wouldn't try it. I wouldn't try it either. I have a very strong index finger, but I still wouldn't. That's a lot of attempts. So out of 35,000, you have 2,046 actual conversations resulting in 362 meetings. So that 362 meetings was booked in a quarter. Yes. That's a lot of meetings to book in a quarter. Yeah, just a little under a quarter. Actually, for a funny reason, I just run this report looking at something else and it happened to be on the screen. It was one week short of a quarter, but yes. Okay. And then 178 referrals to someone else. So of the 362 meetings, I've got another 178 warm, not warm, but let's say I at least have some way to introduce myself when I make what the next metric is, is the follow-up call. Yes. And there are two ways of getting follow-up calls. So the next metric for this particular individual, for instance, there were 789 follow-up calls that were set up. So if you kind of, it's interesting to look at as as you walk me through this or have you look at it, it makes me think about it in, in a slightly different way. So 362 meetings were set, half as many meetings or half as many conversations as became meetings became referrals, and almost exactly twice as many became follow-ups. So for each meeting set, there were two follow-ups. For each meeting set, there was half a referral. Still pretty good. Pretty good starting point. And so the follow-up is us making a second attempt at the meeting or a third attempt. Yeah, the 
the follow-up is a declaration that if I'm a rep and I set a follow-up, what I'm saying is I want to speak with this person again because in my judgment, the timing wasn't right. It could have been they were too busy and walking into another okay. meeting, gotcha. but it could be something more substantive that I've learned. Okay, gotcha. And those are what, in your world, most people start their day with. They do. They start their day with that because, you know, if you're trying to get the most done in the day, you may as well start with the thing that produces the most per hour. Yeah, I get it. And follow-ups produce about two and a half times the total output in terms of meetings per dial or per unit time, per hour, as first conversations do. I don't want to dial for eight hours a day. I did that for a long time, and I was happy doing it. And I wasn't good at it, but I consistently got better over a long period of time. But I did literally dial for eight hours a day for many, many days, and I never felt bad about it. I never had any negative feelings about it. I had people, you know, the occasional person hangs up on you or or has a bad day, and I always just think they have low blood sugar or they can't pay their mortgage or something happened, their boss is riding them. I don't know. I always think it's something else other than a cold call because they didn't know me yet to be mad at me. And usually it takes people a little while to catch on that they need to be mad at me for something. So <laughs> not that long, but they it takes longer than a cold call. So I think that's it. But what if I what if I said I want to make 80 dials a day? Now that would be for me 10 dials an hour if I did it over an eight hour day, although I did many more than that because anything that didn't turn out, I just hung up really fast and I never set the phone down. How long would it take using technology to help assist me with a list and assist me in dialing? How long would it take me to make 80 dials? About 30 minutes. Okay. And in that 30 minutes, how many conversations would you estimate that I would have? Probably four. Okay. And then of those four, I would probably get two meetings? No. One, one meeting? No, not even one. Okay. How many would I get in my four? So you'd probably get out of the four, you would get a little less than half a meeting. Okay. So, I would so you could run half. about one meeting an hour at this rate. So I, I would get I would get one out of the four, Chris. I'm good at those. Well, okay. I, I, would, I would tell you, Chris, listen, there's four trends that we need to talk about, and you're going to need to make some different decisions over the next 18 to 24 months. Listen, let me share this with you. And even if there's not a next step, I promise you're going to want to keep the deck and you're going to go challenge your management team with the things we talk about. What do you look like Thursday? Yeah, I'm t- yeah Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm going to work hard to be super effective. But even if it's half, so that means if I did two hours, or no, I'd only do one hour, right? I could do 160 dials in one hour yep. and I could get one appointment. So I could, yep. I could with a good list... I should be able to come up with five meetings a week. For your one hour a day of investment. For one hour a day of investment. Hmm. Yeah. That's a very, very high ROI. And so now I do want to talk about Connect and Sell for a minute. And I think that the perception some people have of Connect and Sell and dialing more generally is that all salespeople are supposed to do. There's two views of this. So there's the view of the very old school sales manager who says, if you're a salesperson, I just want to see you on the phone dialing all day long, all day, every day, dialing, dialing, dialing. And they're really focused on what you would call productivity or I would call efficiency. Are they working? And then there's another group of people who say, that is a horrible thing to do to a human being, and no one should have to dial that much. And it's a terrible, terrible waste of time. And they have all these other opinions about it. But the point of connect and sell and what you're doing isn't to say, 
a rep should spend eight hours on the phone all day. It's to say, if you're going to make 160 dials, why wouldn't you do it in an hour, get some help, and then make yourself super productive in the time that you have? Yeah. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. One is, what are you going to do with your day? And the other is, how much are you going to get done in an hour? Right. And regardless of how you look at it, the connect and sell point of view is sales reps who are good, and those are the only ones we should be talking about here because the ones who aren't good, it doesn't really matter what we do with them other than help them get better. But those who are good, who can produce in conversations by having conversations, should have as many conversations as they can with the least amount of time and the least amount of effort. And we certainly, as managers, I'll take the management position, the idea of paying somebody to dial the phone when they could just talk to somebody, when they could just push a button and talk to somebody, you know, seems suboptimal. Why would I pay a very valuable salesperson who's relatively expensive in order to push buttons and work dial by name directories and end up in voicemail 19 out of 20 times. So the whole connect and sell idea is if you're not going to leave voicemails, and, and we think leaving voicemails is a fairly bad idea, not always, but a fairly bad idea most of the time, sort of like leaving a note for the deer that says, I'll be hunting here next week. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not a hugely sensible thing to do. But if you're not going to leave voicemails and you really think conversations are where it's at, then let's have the conversations efficiently. And let's have eight an hour or seven an hour or six or whatever it happens to be that we can get by having the dial rate much higher with the same level of expertise or maybe better in terms of navigating those phone calls. What kind of a list would I need to start this process? I mean, how many numbers do you reasonably need to make the 160 dials an hour for five hours a week? You'd probably need about 200. Oh, that's it. That's it. Because what happens... Yeah, what happens is this. The only numbers that really get consumed in the process are those you've spoken with and that did not become a referral or a (laughs) follow-up. So those you've spoken with that became a meeting, they have to be replaced. Those that were hard disqualified, you never want to speak with them again, they have to be replaced. But everybody else stays in the list. Now, over time, your list is going to get changed in a way that you've taken out by speaking with them, you've taken out the folks who answer the phone and you've left in the folks who don't answer the phone. And so over time, your list is going to need to be refreshed, but it doesn't happen as fast as people think. And an example, um, Sean McLaren, who is our founder and executive chairman now, I believe he started with the list of 28 people the first time he used Connect and Sell. And he, he decided that he was not going to do anything other than get referrals to make that list better. And that list now has over 6,000 people in it hmm. that he speaks with on a regular basis. He called me once. <laughs> He's called a lot of people. <laughs> I'm a, I must have been on the list, but he did have a conversation with me. I want to know what happened to my record. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go find it for you. One last question. I appreciate you giving me so much of your time, especially on a Sunday. I've been in Puerto Rico for the last couple of days. I tend to try to do these on Saturdays, but I appreciate you taking time out of your weekend to do this for and with me. I want to talk about Outbound because you were there with us and you're now our signature sponsor here. And I I just want to have you talk about why you made that decision and what you think Outbound means. Well, I attended the first Outbound that you guys put together last year and I did it. 
a little bit on a whim. I didn't know what it was going to be like. You know, first conferences are often pretty difficult things to put together. But I was intrigued by the notion that somebody was finally saying that going first, being the first mover, meant something in the world of sales. I mean, that's the thing that kind of has been shocking me since I entered this whole sales technology business seven years ago, is that the idea of being first, which is to me dead obvious as a principle in business, if you can be the first mover, be the first mover, had been lost in sales. And the idea of a passive waiting around, so to speak, and I know that people don't think of it as waiting around, but just putting bait out there and having people come to you, the inbound approach really says it's okay to be second. It's okay to be third. It's okay to be fourth. So they just, I was intrigued. And I'd read all of you guys, all four of your books, and you know I just wanted to be there. The reality of the first outbound conference exceeded my most optimistic expectations <laughs> by an order of magnitude. Uh, it just funny. did. Yeah. I don't tweet from conferences. I don't post to LinkedIn from conferences very often. Sometimes I do, but not very much. And I found myself taking pictures of you guys on stage and of the, the slides, and putting stuff out there in LinkedIn land about once every, it felt like once every five minutes, probably more like once every 20 minutes, and, and feeling a little silly for it, frankly. But I, I was swept up, and it was funny. It was, it was like the good parts of a cult. That is, suddenly all the people, not all of them, but all the people in the room had basically the same idea, which is, hey, guys, there's a secret in the sales. What if you went first? You know, yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? And it was orchestrated so well. The energy was so fantastic. You guys did, did, you did an incredible job of managing the energy. Conference energy, I think, is very hard to manage. And so for me, it became an easy decision. I made the decision to see whether you, you would all be interested in letting Connect and Self-Sponsor in some way because you were very smart about your original sponsorships and didn't go with a whole bunch of people. And uh, you know, I made that decision at the end of the first day. I went back to the hotel room. My wife said, what was it all like? And I said, I know one thing it's like is I want to be a sponsor next year <laughs> if they do it. Well, we, we're thrilled to have you because I think that there are some people who are willing to push back against the idea that one should be passive and one should be reactive. And I think in a world of constant accelerating disruptive change, I think that's a really bad idea, and I think it hurts our clients when we don't go first. And there's a lot of statistics that are thrown around. My favorite one is that buyers are 57% through the cycle that CEB threw out a few years ago, and I actually had Brent Adamson record a video saying that the intention was never for you not to own from 0% through the 100%. You're supposed to be getting there at zero and shaping their thinking all the way through the process. But it's been used to suggest that, well, the buyer's already way down the path, so there's nothing you can do except try to put out content that can convince them when they go look at your website. And it just isn't true. And I appreciate the content that you published, particularly on LinkedIn, where you have very, very good posts. And I want to just tell you, thank you for putting out the statistics, because there's a couple of things I want to say it's important here. They're not so good that you look at it and go, Wow. I mean, look at how great that is. It's still a lot of dials. It's still a lot of conversations. It's still tough to get meetings. 
But if you're going to do it, you may as well be productive in doing it. And I think sometimes that's misread in your numbers because I think people are like, wow, that was a lot of attempts that didn't result in a conversation. Well, I've written a lot of blog posts that didn't result in a, a meeting either. I mean, and, and when you think about your stats on LinkedIn and 22,000 people viewed your post and 22 of them commented, you didn't get a meeting out of that either. But I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about how this works. And I think you're right. And I appreciate you sharing your opinion and showing people what the statistics really look like. So thank you for doing that. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. I can't wait to see you in Atlanta. And we're going to have a great time. We are going to have a great time. We're going to have as good a time, maybe better, Mm -hmm. as those reps who are talking to all those people and never having to make one of those dials. (laughs) We're definitely going to have that much fun. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Anthony. This is wonderful. That was Chris Spiel, and you can find him at Connect and Sell. You'll find the link in the show notes. I'm Anthony Anarino. You found me here at In the Arena. You can also find me at thesalesblog.com, where I post daily, youtube.com forward slash Anarino, where I post frequently but not daily, even though the show is called Every Day. Thank you so much for being here. If you like the show, hit like on iTunes and give us a review, and I'll see you next time back here in the arena. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.